Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. And today is episode 205 with a guy who has been in Victory Lane a whole lot. Not just this year, but for the entirety of his, so far, brief NASCAR career. He is not a general in the Civil War even though his name kind of sounds like one, <laughs> William Sawalich. Yes, that's right. Joe Gibbs Racing development driver, 17 years old, but well-spoken and wise beyond his years. And oh, by the way, he's pretty damn talented too. ARCA East champion, winner of multiple ARCA Menard Series races this year. He's dipped his toe already into the Craftsman Truck Series. And I'm telling you people, we are going to be hearing from this young man for years and years to come. For real, like no BS. He's got money behind him. We chatted about that a little bit. Uh, and he also has a lot of talent. So we are going to see him in the truck series, in the Xfinity series as early as next year, and probably full-time in Xfinity in a couple years, and maybe even in the Cup series if his talent continues to show what we have seen this year. So William Sawalich is our guest this week. Got back from the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval earlier this week. We'll chit-chat a little bit about that race and how the playoffs look as the field has now dwindled from 12 to 8, and they will begin at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this coming weekend. Before we do any of that, let's throw it over to Papa Siegel, who will pay homage to a legend of the game with a legendary last name. Looking forward to learning more about this man. Papa, take it away. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 205. This week, we focus our way back lens on another name, you've likely heard of, but may not know that much about. You know Ralph Earnhardt as Dale Earnhardt's daddy and Dale Jr.'s pappy or granddaddy. But how much do you know about the man himself? Earnhardt and his family grew up poor in Kannapolis, North Carolina, in the wake of the Great Depression. He turned to racing when he was 21 years old as a way to escape their poverty. He started on local dirt tracks, where he gained a reputation for being a top mechanic and car prep man as much as a racer. After some early success, he turned to racing full-time in 1953. In 1955, he finished second in the NASCAR Sportsman Series and finished third in the series in 1957. In between that, he won the championship in 1956. Earnhardt won more than 350 NASCAR-sanctioned races in and around the Carolinas and preferred to race multiple times in a week close to home rather than deal with the hassles of racing in the Grand National Circuit far away from home and his family. Still, he drove about 50 Cup Series races during his career, though never posted noteworthy results at that level. Earnhardt was an innovator. He was the first to employ tire stagger on his cars to help them turn and improve their handling. Perhaps more importantly, 
He was the first to install crash bars in the driver's door and surely saved countless lives in the process. Gentleman Ned Jarrett is quoted as saying that Ralph Earnhardt was the toughest driver he ever raced against. That's high praise, my friends. Ralph Earnhardt passed away following a series of heart attacks at the tender age of 45. He was named to NASCAR's top 50 and top 75 drivers lists, but his greatest contribution to the sport will likely be his son and his grandson. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Thank you, Dad. Always appreciate when you turn the lens on the Wayback Machine as it pertains to this week's guest, Ralph Earnhardt. I've heard some stories about him through Dale Jr. downloads and through different things that I've listened to, Scene Vault podcast being one of them, but I've never heard a deep dive quite like that, Papa Siegel. So thank you very much for that, and I'm looking forward to seeing, and I'm looking forward to seeing who you cook up next week for our Wayback segment. Let's start off this episode as we always do, and that, of course, is with a good old-fashioned And throw it straight over to my interview with William Sawalich. Again, Joe Gibbs Racing developmental driver, Arkham Menard Series East champion, winner in the Arkham Menard Series in general. He is an all-around well-spoken young man, extremely talented, and I'm looking forward for you guys to hear a little bit more about him and his story. That's kind of why I wanted to have him on. We know he's good. We know he's in the best stuff. We know he's winning a lot, but I wanted to get to know the William that you don't see or hear about when he's in the race car, off the racetrack a little bit, and an interesting dynamic as his sister is currently dating a NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff contender. I'll let you hear that in this conversation. That is not the highlight, though. We had a lot more of the ground. We had a lot more ground that we covered, and I'm very grateful to William for his time. So I'll get out the way and let you hear the full chat. Here's William Sawalich in a place he is very accustomed to being, Victory Lane. Pleasure to welcome on to the show today, driver and champion for Joe Gibbs Racing in the Arkham Menard Series East. One of the youngest guests that I think I have ever had on the show, and I'm sure you probably get that a lot, William. It's William Sawalich of Joe Gibbs Racing, Tricon Garage, all the like. Let's start here. Kind of baller move, if I do say so myself, to join the Zoom room and your name, instead of being like William, William Sawalich, it's just W, because all you do is catch Ws. Yeah, uh, just keeping it simple over here. That's right. It works, though. Uh, You've had a busy week off track, uh, and you've had a busy week on track as well. Coming off the win at Toledo Speedway, that's a hell of a way to end the season, my friend. Take us through that race from your perspective and how gratifying it was to end the season on the highest of highs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We qualified second and started second in the race. Um, Kind of the first half of the race, the 20 car was leading a little bit. Uh, He was kind of setting his pace, and uh, I was just getting a feel for how my car was uh, handling in the long run and the short run. I think he had his beat in the short run, and I uh, eventually capitalized in the short or in the long run uh, there at the end. We just saved our tires just a little bit better. Um, and I know he was points racing, but uh, I will still take it as a win. Yeah, as, as you should. Uh, fourth win of the season. And you only ran in 13 races overall in that specific portion of ARCA this year. Plus, you're the ARCA East champion. Again, it's in your name when you joined it. You keep it simple. But all you do is catch dubs. Like, I'm not trying to gas you up right now because I know we've been talking for two minutes. But that is a hell of a batting average, and I know that you're in really good equipment and the competition around you isn't as stiff as it is in the truck series, but 
I would say you got to be pretty happy with your performances and your results with still some ARCA racing left to go this season. Yeah, for sure. No, I've been really happy with these this year. Uh, me and the team, we bonded well. Um, I've gotten some wins. I've gotten some experience. I feel like that's what I wanted out of this year uh, between the ARCA season and uh, some of the part-time truck races and even some of the late model races I've ran this year that have been new to me. Uh, just everything, every race, every race car I've been in is always a new experience for me. So Arkham Menards series, that's one series. The Arc East, that obviously is something else, formerly K&N. Um, four wins in that season out of eight races. I hesitate to call it a season because, you know, it's very short. And obviously mm -hmm. the competition, not as it's at, not as steep as the Arkham Menards series or the truck series, but still, you won half the races, and your worst finish, I'm sure as you know, was fourth. I mean, how do you even begin to encapsulate how successful you guys were again, knowing the competition and knowing you're in the best stuff. It's one thing to have that on paper. It's another thing to deliver and get the job done. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I knew I had the talent to be able to perform uh, to the level that some of the other drivers that have been in that seat uh, have done. And uh, Joe Gibbs racing got the championship last year. So it was definitely uh, feasible for me to get it this year. Um, like you said, we got the wins we needed and uh, was always up front and always in contention for a win. So you mentioned the talent, right? I'm curious as, what are you, 16, 17 right now? I just turned 17. Okay, happy belated birthday. I saw that early October, right? Yes. Yeah, happy October. belated birthday. Thank you. Um, so as a 17-year-old who who's only been racing for a couple or maybe even just a few years, where does that confidence come from to know that you do have what it takes to win in the best stuff and win championships and win on stages like the Arkham Menard series? Where does that come from? Yeah, I think it just comes from late models, uh, just winning in there, uh, testing my skills in there against guys that have done that for a really long time and definitely know what they're doing. So getting the wins in there builds confidence. And then uh, going into the first or second ARCA race, you're kind of still just feeling it out. And then especially when you win your second ARCA race, uh, that's a good feeling just to get that off your back and then just keep going from there and keep excelling. Um, and then always helps to keep winning because confidence is definitely key uh, in this sport because you can dig yourself in a hole sometimes. How did the first win feel? Was that a big weight off your shoulders in terms of this season? Yeah, for sure. I, that was at Pensacola, I believe. Um, I've been to that track multiple Many times. times. <laughs> Super late model and pro late model. Uh, won there in both both of those cars. Uh, I think I'm the first person to win in a Super late model, pro late model, and an ARCA car there. Um, wow. So, I mean, that's pretty special to be able to do that. It's definitely one of my favorite tracks. Um, and Yeah, it was definitely good to get that off my shoulders and get the first win under the belt with the team. I know it would be the same car, but you want to add the Snowball Derby to that list? Might as well. Yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome. I haven't been able to race that race yet uh, since last year. I had a concussion, and I was going to race it, and uh, unfortunately, wasn't able to. You're going to race it this year, though, right? I think I saw it on your schedule. Yes, yep, correct. Yeah. So six truck starts as well for Tricon Garage, the Toyota flagship team, obviously, this season. And even there, I know that would be a tall task to go in there and just catch Ws, but a couple top 10 finishes so far with, I know, he's still got some work to do there too. How big of a change did you experience, William, as a driver, jumping from Arca East to then Arca Menard Series to then the National Series and the Craftsman Truck Series? You could probably tell the competition was a bit stiffer, I assume. Yeah, for sure. The competition in the Craftsman Truck Series is uh, very dense. The field's dense. Everyone's pretty close in times. Uh, qualifying is really important uh, because the trucks get uh, so aerotight or loose, if you want to say. Um, they get really affected in aero, uh, especially in traffic. 
So it's important to be up front and in that clean air. Um, and if you're not, you're back there battling uh, with either fifth place or 20th place. So it's uh, pretty wild throughout the field. And it's a good experience for me to uh, be able to do that. And then once I go back down to the Arc Bernard series, uh, I can be more prepared for that. I would assume, yeah, racing in trucks makes you better in ARCA and racing in ARCA East makes you better in ARCA National. It kind of is all symbiotic, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, our stats in the truck series are uh, very consistent and I love I love that team. We connect well um, and honestly, it just makes my life easier in the ARCA series for sure. How does a 17-year-old celebrate their birthday, by the way? Just going back to that. Um, well, I don't, I don't really do much. In our family, we... Um, we do birthday mornings, so we do all the celebration in the morning, kind of get that out of the way, and then you can move on to the rest of your day. Uh, and then we went to Top Golf that night and had some fun. Uh, a couple of crew guys uh, came over, and uh, we had a really good time. Why the morning? You don't. You shouldn't be getting it out of the way. This is the day to celebrate. Have the whole day. Yeah, well, I'm a little impatient, so I like to have the cake uh, right away. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, mm -hmm. Before we move on to a little bit more about your background, and I know you're a first-generation racer, really interested to hear your perspective on all those things. Ty Gibbs is somebody that I look at, one of your Toyota teammates, right, at Joe Gibbs Racing, and he was somebody who won a lot in ARCA and ARCA East, just like you, skipped the truck series entirely, and won a lot in Xfinity. He's having a great rookie season in Cup, as I'm sure you've watched as well with us, but he's not winning week in and week out, like he's been accustomed to pretty much his entire young adult life, and I'm sure you have also been accustomed to that feeling. There's going to reach a point, whether it's a full-time truck season, Xfinity, when you get to cup one day maybe, that the wins are not going to come as fast and furious as they are now. I know it's kind of forecasting out there, but are you prepared for that? Because mentally, that seems to be a big hurdle to overcome for some young drivers that are used to winning a lot. Yeah, for sure. That will be tough. But um, I was talking about it with Kevin Harvick the other day, actually, and he mentioned in the cup series right now that it takes 100 races under your belt to really get a hang of things because that level of competition is just so tough um, and obviously the more you move up the harder it's going to get so I'm definitely prepared for that and uh, seen some other very talented drivers uh, do the same you know have a lot of success in ARCA and trucks and then move up to Xfinity and then kind of level out a little bit and then they start to get the hang of it and then keep winning. You mentioned Kevin Harvick I think I saw it was either your Instagram or Josh's Instagram you guys were playing golf I'm not sure if Kevin was in that group but Clearly, he has a bit of a relationship professionally with you and your racing. What's that been like to be able to pick somebody's brain like that, who's obviously a champion of the sport and a future Hall of Famer? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's really special to be able to do that. Uh, he's a really good coach slash mentor to me. Um, he's got all the answers to my questions, for sure, about every racetrack that I go to. Um, and yeah, we played the golf tournament for his foundation at a really good time. And uh, my scramble actually ended up beating his scramble by uh, one point. Hey. So, yep. There you go. You got to get the wins anywhere you can. Uh, so I mentioned you're a first-generation racer. I know you started when you were nine years old, which I'm sure some people listening are like, oh, he looks nine years old, but a handful of years ago. Uh, what piqued your interest, though? Because as a first-generation racer, especially being from Minnesota, I know the Midwest is racing rich, but the state of Minnesota, at least to me, doesn't strike me as a huge racing hotbed. What got you hooked on racing, and what made you want to start? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Minnesota's neighbor, Wisconsin, has uh, produced a lot of good race car drivers. So I think uh, me coming from Minnesota is just a little weird because there's only one uh, oval pavement track there to race at wow. uh, in late models, and that's Elko. So that's where I got my start. Um, and I started racing quarter midgets there, and then I moved up to legend cars. 
Um, and then once I started doing legend cars, I kind of moved down to North Carolina to start traveling more and uh, running the U.S. legend cars circuit and um, just kind of trying to get more competition and uh, different kinds of fields to really challenge myself. Um, and then I started doing late models uh, with Brandon and Dennis Setzer in the pro late model division um, to get my feet wet in late models. And then we took it kind of easy that year. And then it started to ramp up a little bit, started to get some wins. And that's kind of when I started to figure out that I really want to do this. What was it about motorsports, about racing? Like, was it in the family? Did you just watch it a lot growing up? Being a first-generation race car driver, what struck you and what made you want to pursue this? Yeah, um, it's kind of tough to explain because nobody else in my family uh, ever watched racing, really even knew about racing. So I always loved cars, um, and I saw NASCAR on TV one day. I'm like, hey, I kind of would like to do that when I'm older. That's pretty cool, drive a race car. Um, so my family kind of researched it and found uh, a local quarter midget track that I could go try out. Uh, so I ended up trying it and I fell in love with the sport and just uh, being able to drive my own race car seemed awesome uh, when I was little. So I just wanted to keep doing it. That's interesting. I feel like we don't hear a lot of organic stories like that for guys who are first generation racers. They have no familial ties, nothing and they just see it, they think it's cool, they want to do it, because as you know, William, right, there's a lot of family history in the sport, or, oh, so-and-so's mm. uncle knew this person who had a car, who owned this track. For you, it seemed like it was quite literally just, you were young, you were interested, your parents were supportive, go have fun, and that's what you're still doing. Absolutely, yeah, I mean, that's really special to be able to do that, uh, even at this level and this age, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So, as I mentioned, from Minnesota, Eden Prairie, Minnesota, to be specific. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a NASCAR driver, at least recently in, in trucks, Xfinity or Cup, that's from Minnesota. You probably would know better than me. Is there anybody that I'm missing? Um, there were a few Minnesotan drivers uh, in the 60s and 70s, I believe, but none of them got a win or a championship. So that's one of my goals is to get a winner championship at the NASCAR uh, level. In the 60s or 70s when you were negative 30 and 40 years old. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> And that was way before my time, obviously, too. So I hear you. Mm -hmm. um, is there a particular reason why the state itself, you think, in your experience, doesn't really produce many racers in terms of the stock car side of things? Because like you said, Wisconsin, there are a crazy amount of drivers that have made it from that state to the NASCAR National Series. And Matt Kenseth, cup champion, Johnny Sauter, truck champion, right? I mean, it speaks for itself. Why does Minnesota not really get the shine that Wisconsin does? Yeah, Um yeah, I can't really answer that for you exactly, but I would think, I mean, the lack of oval tracks there. Um, I know there's a handful of dirt tracks, but um, sure. asphalt tracks, uh, there's only one, and that's Elko, and Wisconsin has the Dells. They've got Slinger um, and a handful of other tracks for sure. Uh, Milwaukee Mile, uh, that's obviously one of my favorite tracks. I love that track. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's different, but that's one of my goals is to – kind of spread race car driving through Minnesota and get some more young racers to uh, start doing it. I know you mentioned, you know, you did quarter midgets, you did legends cars, and that was mostly at Elko. Did you guys cross state lines at all and go elsewhere in the Midwest before you moved down South to try to race elsewhere? Yeah. So in 2020, when COVID happened, uh, racing was really the only sport going on. So um, when Elko was shut down, we went to Wisconsin and went to Slinger, uh, the Dells, Jefferson Speedway, um, Golden Sands, and those were the four that we really rotated around, um, and that's when we really started to travel a bunch, like every weekend uh, doing that, and then we just kind of moved that same kind concept down to uh, North Carolina 
in Georgia. Seems like you take a lot of pride in being from Minnesota and being a Minnesotan. I believe that's how you say it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I get it. You've lived there all your life and you want to bring a representation of the sport that you love and that you're trying to make a living into to that state. What do you think that people should know about Minnesotans that they may not? Because selfishly, Minnesota is one state I have not been to that I'd like to get to, maybe not in the winter, but tell us a little bit about your home state and what you think people should know about them and the culture that it brings. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, Minnesota has my heart for sure. I grew up there for 15 years uh, and then I moved down here when I was 16. So um, it's just a beautiful state, really outdoorsy. Um, I mean, all my friends are there, so I obviously miss it and they come down here once in a while. Yeah. But um, I've always had a good time there and it's definitely a place you should go visit. How often do you go back up north? Um, I would say maybe three or four times a year uh, whenever I race kind of in Wisconsin or close to there. Um, I'll go up there and visit some friends and family. Are your parents down in North Carolina with you or they're still up there? Yes. Yep. They're with me here. Okay, cool. How hard was it to, to make that move? It's good that you had your parents there with you and that support system, but I can't imagine being 15, 16 years old and leaving everything I've ever known, my friends, probably some other family members. Of course, you're pursuing your dream, but it had to be pretty tough. Yeah, and it was tough for a little bit, um, but it, we kind of eased the transition. We started going back and forth more, um, and then we got used to North Carolina, and I was just so focused on racing. I honestly, I don't want to say I didn't care, but I was just so focused on it, and I wanted it so much. I just wanted to be down here. How did the schooling work? Like, were you in school in Minnesota, and then you transferred online somewhere? Are you in uh, school in North Carolina now? Because I read that I think you're currently attending Liberty University's online academy. Do I have that right? Yep. Yeah, that's correct. I started that uh, in eighth grade. So a okay. little while ago, I'm in, uh, I'm a junior in high school right now. Uh, so I've been doing that for a while and it's really helpful. Uh, it's really flexible for my schedule. So it's really nice to be able to do that. Did William Byron give you his login or anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually we found the idea from uh, Liberty being the sponsor on his car. So that's uh, thank you to him. That's cool. Uh, did you have a favorite driver? I was going to say growing up, you're still growing up. When you first started watching, mm -hmm. did you have a favorite driver? Uh, Jeff Gordon, for sure. I got to meet him a handful of times. We're, uh, family friends with him. Uh, he helped with our family's company, uh, which is hearing aids, our foundation. So he helped out with that a little bit. Um, and then I got to know Richard Petty really well, uh, since we fit him with hearing aids and he's become a, a good friend of mine. And, uh, whenever he comes up to Minnesota, I go up there too, to see him. Yeah. I saw that you guys and your family company helped Richard Petty out. I didn't know about Jeff Gordon. That's, that's pretty cool. Have you been able to converse with either of them recently since you maybe won the championship or since you've now been kind of entrenched in North Carolina and you're making a name for yourself in the NASCAR world? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Richard Petty would be the more recent one. And I uh, usually show him videos of how my races went and all that. And he's, uh, he's really, um, he thinks it's really cool. And I think it's really cool that he thinks it's cool. <laughs> Not that I need to tell you, but I don't think every 16-year-old that's trying to make a name for themselves and make a living in North Carolina as an NASCAR driver, I don't think that they could just dial up the king and be like, hey, can I pick your brain on something? That has to be a pretty cool resource for you to have, man. Yeah, for sure. It's special to be able to talk to him. He's got, he's got so much knowledge, and he's just an old-school race car driver, and I like that about him. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's probably got T-shirts that are older than you and driver uniforms mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So... Currently, right, Joe Gibbs Racing in the Arkham Menard Series, you're a development driver there and uh, running a Tricon truck from time to time. Two of the best teams probably to be associated with in either one of those series and the entire sport. 
how did you wind up getting hooked up with them? And I think the bigger question maybe, how'd you wind up getting hooked up with Toyota? Yeah. Uh, so it all started when I was super late model racing with uh, the Donnie Wilson team. Um, on Sus, he's, uh, he was my crew chief there. So he helped me uh, get connected with Toyota and TRD um, and kind of just introduced me to that family. And once we were uh, in there and we got, uh, we had some options for this year to, uh, for race teams and Joe Gibbs Racing came up and I said, I really want to go there, work on my skills in the ARCA level. Um, and then, sorry, those are my dogs. What's your dog's name? Okay, uh, so I've got a white one, uh, Border Collie. Her name is Nala. Uh-huh. And uh, my sister named her after the Lion King. Okay. She's a big Disney fan. Um, and then we got a bulldog and a German Shepherd. Your bulldog's name is George, isn't it? Yes, it is. I've been told to ask about that. We'll get there later. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Your dog interrupted you. You were talking about getting hooked up with Toyota through Donnie Wilson and company. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah. So once we were in the TRD Joe Gibbs Racing family, um, we wanted to do some truck races and found Tricon and Toyota introduced introduced us to them, and uh, it was a really good connection for the future, for sure. Speaking of uh, super late model racing, pro late model racing, I believe you have the Winchester 400 coming up this weekend, and you're going to be taking part in it. Uh, How would you begin to describe that race and that track? I have never been to Winchester, but I have heard it's just a really, really different version of Bristol with super late models on it. Yeah, it's basically a really bumpy and asphalt version of Bristol. Uh, it's a super cool track. I raced there last year, uh, the Winchester 400. I got third. Um, it's a really long race for a super late model, uh, yeah. but I enjoy it a lot. There's a lot of strategy to be played there, and um, it's just a cool race to learn a lot of new things. How bad do you want to win that one? Pretty bad. I really want that gun uh, hanging on my hanging on the wall over here. That'd be one to, to write home about for sure. I think mm. you also, according to your schedule, which I know is kind of subject to change, you got races at the fairgrounds in Nashville, the Snowball mm. Derby, as we talked about at Five Flags, and I believe Phoenix to close out the Arkham Menard Series West season on the docket. So you're going to be staying pretty busy here. Even though it's mid-October, you still have a lot of racing left to be done. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to hit all the big super late model races at the end of the year. Um, and the day after Phoenix, uh, we're flying to uh, Nashville to do the All-American 400. Uh, that's also a really cool race, and so is the Snowball Derby. I uh, can't wait to take part in that race because I haven't done it before. So you turn 18 next October. Again, happy belated. Thank Some you. Xfinity races I, I read may be planned for you once that birthday comes late in the year, albeit what about 2024 though in general i know that you're probably still having conversations maybe you've signed something maybe you have and i'm not asking you to break any news you can if you'd like but i'm not asking you to um do you have anything in mind that you'd like to be doing next year whether that be full-time part-time anything in between yeah um i mean somewhere along the lines of the same schedule this year uh, maybe prioritize some other races um over others um but as of right now, basically the same schedules this year, try to get more truck races with Tricon Garage. Um, and I feel like those would be really beneficial to my career. I'm sure that seat time is probably very valuable. How, how much is that preached to you from whether it be Tyler Gibbs, Joe Gibbs, David Wilson, some guys on your team, how important is that? Yeah, I mean, it's really important. There's so much uh, influence and experience uh, that I run into with these kinds of teams. Um, there's at least two or three people that have a lot of knowledge um, per team. So, I mean, it's really helpful uh, for me to be with those teams, and I'm really grateful. 
Speaking of coach, I know you signed a developmental deal with JGR. I think that's like a three-year deal, whatever it is, multiple years. Mm. Um, how cool is it to have him in your corner? And you can pick his brain, I'm sure, whenever you need to as well. Richard Petty and Joe Gibbs, not a bad duo. Yeah, I mean, it's really it's really special to be able to uh, talk to coach, uh, especially after wins and races. Um, he calls me after all those. Uh, so, I mean, that's really special to be able to talk to him. And he's just got a lot of knowledge in the sport, and he knows how uh, teamwork works. And it's really cool to be a part of the Joe Gibbs Racing family. You got some good partners involved as well, of course. Like you said, your family company. I read in an article, and again, subject to change, but that your plan was to hopefully be full-time in the Xfinity Series in 2025. I get that we're looking way ahead, but the season here is coming to a close, and next year I'm sure you have a lot planned. Is that still the tentative plan for you to be full-time Xfinity in 2025 for JGR? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. That that'll be the best uh, plan possible for me, I feel like, uh, but nothing is signed, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Right, I hear you. All right, mm-hmm. um, your sister Amelia, interesting mm-hmm. dynamic here because she's dating Sam Mayer, who uh, I'm good buddies with. He won this past weekend, as did you. So she had herself a day, two trophies. Oh, That's yeah. big. Um, are you guys friendly or anything? Because, like, you know, William Byron and Ryan Blaney's sister, they're dating William and Aaron, and this is a different relationship that not a lot of people know about. But I just got to say, even though you're younger than Sam, I think you could take him. So I don't know. Are you guys cool or what? Yeah, no, we're cool. Um, I mean, we're still waiting for the day where we can race each other. I think that'd be pretty yeah. cool. Um, and it's also cool to look up to him for advice because he's been to a lot of these tracks in the ARCA car that I've been to. So he just gives me some uh, tips and advice for the future, for sure. Speaking of tips and advice, did you get any tips or advice on how to hit the driver on your golf simulator? Because I heard that he hit it pretty good. Um, yeah, funny story. There's a lot of holes uh, in the wall. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, we had a golf simulator, and there's a lot of holes in the drywall, and those are um, about to be fixed here because we're going to uh, sell our house and move uh, other places in North Carolina. Were the holes from you or from Sam or for both? Uh, I would say majority Sam. Yeah, he, <laughs> Blame it on struggled. Him. he struggled a little bit. So he wasn't actually as good as he was saying? Um, maybe he's pretty good at everything, but driving, I think it's kind of weird that there's walls around him. So that kind of spooked him a little bit. It spooks me too. Yeah. It's like, it's like lanes and bowling, right? You like, you put the lanes up or the assisters, whatever. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I feel you. That's just what walls are for him. He's like the Ross Chastain of Xfinity. There you go. (laughs) Yes. Um, I know I've mentioned that you're really young a bunch of times. I'm sure you, you get that a lot. You were born in 2006, which I absolutely just despise saying that out loud. Um, But the interesting thing to me, and I'm curious your perspective is, you know, you're working with guys day in and day out and girls that are significantly older than you, that have had decades of experience in this sport. They've had more experience in the sport than you've had years on the earth. And I know that's Mm -hmm. kind of funny to say, but it's true. So what's that dynamic like being a 17-year-old kid working their way up, working with guys and girls that have been doing this their entire adult lives? Yeah, it's really hard to put that in perspective. Um, I mean, sometimes I don't even realize that. And sometimes I'll question their opinions, but, um, in the end they're, they always turn out to be right, uh, because they've done this for so long. Um, and it just helps to get that extra information in my mind, uh, before I go out for a qualifying run or something that, uh, they might know that's little that'll help me. All right. Some fun things before we wrap up here. And I appreciate your time. Uh, you'll mm-hmm. go past that drywall after we're done. Cobra Kai. I read that's your favorite TV show. Yeah, uh, there's a, I don't know when the new season's coming out, but uh, I started watching it 
uh, last year or the year before. Um, and it, uh, it was pretty cool for sure. I was a big, um, I'm blanking right now, um, Karate Kid fan. Um, growing up, I would watch those movies. Um, and I did martial arts when I was little, uh, even before racing. So uh, that was pretty cool. How long did you do martial arts for? Um, I would say two years. Okay. Yep. I got the black belt, so that's good enough. You did. I was going to say, you probably got nowhere near black belt territory, but damn. Yeah. W's all around. I'm telling you. Yes. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. Two, it, mm. Does it usually take people that long to do it? Is that like exponentially um, quick? Yeah, I think so, but it might depend on the place you go to. Sure. Um, so, I mean, it's all depending on that, but yeah. So, you could beat up Sam for real. <laughs> well, I mean, size might matter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you got a black belt. He doesn't have any of that stuff. So yeah, I think you got it's all about cover. speed for sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If you don't say it, I will. Um, okay. I've been told to ask about the aforementioned George the Bulldog because apparently yep. he's very lovable, but he can get crazy at times, I hear. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't like other dogs. Um, he doesn't want to make new friends. Yeah. So that's a little tough. So we got to keep him uh, around here. Yeah. And then he doesn't like um, my RC cars. So I kind of run those around the yard and he's in the in, enclosed area of the fence. Yeah. Um, he will literally run into the fence and break it. He's pretty strong. He's like built out of metal. How big is he? Um, not big. I think he's only like 40 pounds. But he can break bulldog. that fence. Yeah. <sighs> Stay out of it's George's way. My God. Uh, mm -hmm. All right. Last thing here. I don't know the full story, but I do know that, you know, the William Sawalich brand is very, very eccentric. And part of that brand involves a rooster. Mm -hmm. Can you explain and connect the dots for me here? Yes. Um, so when I was little racing quarter midgets, we wanted a nickname for me. Um, and growing up, I uh, raised four chickens. So no roosters. I didn't raise any roosters, but um, I raised four chickens, hens, um, and they lived till they were six, seven. Uh, so I really loved them. And then um, our nickname just wanted to be the raging rooster because um, we couldn't say the raging chicken because that'd be almost too nice. Um, <laughs> raging so yeah, and doesn't flow off the tongue either. Yeah, pretty much. So everyone now just calls me rooster. So that's uh, pretty cool that that's kind of still part of it. Ricky Rudd was a rooster. You could be the next Ricky Rudd. There you go. The hungry hen. That's not bad. Yeah. The crazy chicken. I'm trying to think of alliteration, you know? Yeah, there's there's probably a few combinations that might work. Yeah. And isn't um I think like I haven't been to many Arca races this year. On your um on the door frame, like where your name's above the door, is there a rooster there or is there a rooster anywhere on the car? Yes. Yeah, so there's a rooster. They kinda switch it up every race. Um so there's always a rooster above the door, and then there's sometimes one on my seat, and then there's sometimes one uh by the master switch on the dash. Hmm. It's like where's Waldo but a rooster? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right, Rooster. Well, I appreciate your time here. Um, thank you. Thank you for letting me get to know you a little bit better. I know this is the first time that we've kind of talked, and I'm sure this may be the first time that a lot of listeners may be hearing about you in a more eccentric level and hearing your story and your background, but no doubt that you will be one to hear from, and we'll be watching for years and years to come. So I appreciate your time, appreciate your perspective, appreciate your story, and I wish you the best for the rest of this season and into 2024, my friend. For sure. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And we are back. Thank you so much to General Sawalich, William, uh, W, the rooster. 
as they say, uh, for carving out some time for us here this week on the show. And thank you to my man Ryan Hines of Tricon Garage for helping coordinate that conversation. Always appreciate both you gentlemen when you give us some of your time. Looking forward to doing it again soon and looking forward to seeing what William can have for him this weekend at Winchester. Moving forward at the fairgrounds, also going to be in the Snowball Derby and of course the season finale for the Arkham Menard Series West at Phoenix Raceway. Time to chit chat a little bit about the Roval. Stage breaks were back for the first time this season but it was the same old guy in victory lane that we are accustomed to seeing at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval for the fifth straight year, four years straight in Xfinity, rain or shine, literally. And now in the NASCAR Cup Series, ding the bell because A.J. Allmendinger let him have it on Sunday. Now, with stages being back, it kind of switched up things as it pertains to strategy and some ill-timed cautions for guys like Chase Elliott and some different strategies that were employed by guys like Tyler Reddick, Bubba Wallace, Christopher Bell, that kind of needed those stage points in order to advance to the next round of the playoffs, made it so that Dinger, who basically was just racing for the win, he could do exactly that. He didn't need to worry about points. He didn't need to worry about setting himself up strategy-wise. All he was going for was the checkered flag and the trophy, and by God, he got it. And it wasn't easy either because he had to survive, I think it was five restarts, at the end of the race after they kept wrecking and wrecking and wrecking some more. And he was super, super emotional after the race on the front stretch with NBC and in victory lane, talking to PRN and us on Sirius XM. And Marty Snyder asked him why. He said, you don't know when you're going to get another one. You don't know if this is going to be your last one. And I think that that emotion said a lot because we've been hearing rumors swirling about, was well, AJ going to go back to Xfinity? Is he going to stay in the cup series? Colleague hasn't said anything. And, Look, I mean, I'm not going to treat you like you're stupid because you're not if you're listening to this show. Reading between the lines here, we can tell AJ is not coming back to the 16 Call of Cup car. He's probably going to go back down to the Xfinity Series, whether that's what AJ wants or not. He's kind of said both, honestly, because you can read between the lines and tell he's not having the most fun right now running mid-pack in the Cup Series. He will be a championship contender tomorrow once he gets in the Xfinity Series. But... Chris Rice, Matt Collig, they're keeping their cards relatively close to the vest. We have not heard one way or another where AJ will be next year. My money's on the Xfinity Series, but nothing is off the table. And I will say, even if they may have already signed something, then it's a moot point. But this win on Sunday probably does a lot for AJ in terms of wanting to be in Cup. If he wants that to happen and there's no deal that's been signed, hey, Matt Collig, hey, Chris Rice, you want to go trophy hunting? Look what I just got for you. Set it down on the mantle. That's a Bank of America Roval 400 trophy, ladies and gentlemen. Colleague Racing's second ever cup trophy. AJ Allmendinger's third ever cup trophy. All wins coming on road courses and all wins for Colleague Racing in the cup series coming at the hands of the dinger, AJ Allmendinger. So happy for him, stoked for him, happy for his wife, Tara, and their little boy, Arrow James. What a cute baby. For real. Uh, saw some photos and videos that his wife, Tara, were putting out on social media. And AJ said he wanted to wrap his little boy in the flag. Well, by golly, he did it. And he looked good doing it. So congrats to AJ Allmendinger. Congrats to all the people that advanced to the round of eight. Unfortunately, the end of the line for Kyle Busch, Ross Chastain, Bubba Wallace, and RFK Racing's Brad Keselowski. They are the four drivers that were eliminated after 400 miles at the Bank of America Roval 400. 
Brad was the only guy that was above the cut line going in that dropped out. And the guy who jumped him was Tyler Reddick, who was minus two to the cut line. But we kind of knew going in that that was basically a extremely surmountable points uh, deficit that he had because he won the pole. He won stage one going away. And from that point forward, even honestly, when qualifying ended, he knew that he was going to be in a really good spot to advance. So even though he wanted to win, he still finished inside the top 10, I believe top five, and uh, he advances on to the round of eight. So we still got a lot of heavy hitters in the playoffs, and I'm interested to see how it all plays out this weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. It's a mile and a half racetrack, so that should be a good thing because we know that this track produces really good racing, especially with the next-gen car on intermediate. So looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. I don't know why, but I kind of got a feeling this is going to be a William Byron special, right? I mean, we know that the 24 team, they have been the class of the Cup Series field pretty much all year long, and I don't see any reason why that would change. I think you're still going to see the 24, the 5, the 11 of Denny Hamlin. Those are the three clear-cut, I, I would say probably not locks to go to the championship for, but favorites to go to the championship for, especially given their playoff point cushion, right, especially the 24. The fourth one is kind of up for grabs in my opinion. I, I still have Martin Truex Jr. as my champion. I definitely do not feel good about that right now. I would say somebody that's probably taken his place in terms of the speed that they're showing week in and week out, the confidence that the driver is displaying, and the way that this round sets up for them is Tyler Reddick, for real. I mean, we know that Homestead is kind of his personal playground. He won two Xfinity championships back-to-back there, has not won in the Cup Series there yet, but we know that that place is high, wide, and handsome, and he loves to live out there on the edge, ripping the top, just like Kyle Larson, one of his predecessors. But Homestead, even though that's in this round, he said earlier this week on SiriusXM that he thinks Vegas is an even better track for he and the 45 team at 23-11 racing. Not to mention Martinsville, that a track that he's not bad at. He's not amazing, but he's pretty solid at too. So if I were to pick right now, I'd go Byron, Larson, Hamlin, and honestly probably Reddick. But that's not discounting Chris Buescher, who has been so quiet and so consistent and so good everywhere we go. Super Speedway, one there. Road course, he's got 10 top 10s in his last 12 races on those. Short tracks, he won there as well at Richmond earlier in the year. So you can't count out the 17 by any means. And then, oh, by the way, you got Christopher Bell, who was in the championship four last year. The only driver currently still alive that was in the championship four last year because Ross Chastain is now out. Joey Logano got ousted in the first round. And Chase Elliott, of course, missed the driver playoffs entirely. So to say that we have a shortage of storylines heading into the round of eight would be a gross misrepresentation and understatement. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Sunday afternoon, race goes green, 11.30 a.m. local time in Las Vegas. That's around 2.30 Eastern. Hope you all tune in on NBC, PRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. And that'll wrap things up here for episode 205 of Victory Lane 2.0. Appreciate you guys tuning in this week and every week and always appreciate our guest this week being William Sawalich for carving out some time as he goes to uh, carve out the drywall when he uh, and Sam Mayer hit some golf balls into the wall. Uh, And thank you to Ryan Hines again of Tricon for helping coordinate that chat. If you guys like what you heard here today or have any feedback, positive, negative, indifferent, 
please leave it for me. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, the Green app, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, anywhere you get the podcasts or any shows for that matter. We should be available on whatever platform you choose and be there for your consumption. If we're not, let me know. Drop me a line. I'll try to fix that for you. Lickety split. Thanks for listening this week, and I appreciate you tuning in next week for another guest from the world of NASCAR and motorsports. We're going to go off the racetrack, but we will learn a lot in the process. Hope you guys are looking forward to that. I sure am. Looking forward to Vegas. We will do it all here right again next week in victory lane. So long, party people. Be good.